With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor, we are here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello, and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host, and I'm so happy you're joining us. Welcome to the 14th episode of my show. I'm really excited to have this platform to help raise the awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues, highlight current issues that need to be discussed really more to help prevent breaches and security incidents, and I also love to provide listeners with practical tips and actions to help improve information security and to better protect their privacy. Please check out my websites, privacyprofessor.org, symbus360.com, and privacyguidance.com. So speaking of tips, my May Privacy Professor Tips message was just published. Did you get yours? Well, if not, sign up for them. They're free. You can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box at the upper right part of your screen. I've had several of my listeners ask me to provide a separate quick tip or two apart from my main show topic during each of my shows. So for today, I'm going to give a tip that's related to the show topic, which is Wi-Fi hacking. A large majority of households in the U.S. and throughout the world now have their own home wireless networks or their Wi-Fi networks. Now, most businesses and other types of organizations also use Wi-Fi networks. So my tip for you today is this. Use a strong password and enable strong encryption on your Wi-Fi networks. Do not use the default Wi-Fi password. Why? Well, that default will be the first password that the cyber crooks and the nation state hackers are going to try to use. So change it and use the strongest encryption possible, which for most publicly available Wi-Fi routers is WPA2. So what motivated me to discuss this topic of Wi-Fi security and privacy and hacking today? Well, during the third week in April, it was widely reported throughout worldwide news outlets that Russian hackers were working to infiltrate as many Wi-Fi networks throughout the world as possible for the general public as well as businesses and organizations and government networks. News outlets in the UK, as an example, indicated that anywhere from 50,000 to over 100,000 of the home Wi-Fi routers had been compromised just within the UK alone. Worldwide, government security researchers have warned that millions of Wi-Fi routers have been compromised by 
Russian nation state intelligence officers and you know probably other nation state hackers from other countries as well. Now those are in addition to the already large amount of attempts being made daily by cyber criminals to get in through your Wi-Fi networks. Wi-Fi security and privacy has really been a concern ever since people started using Wi-Fi security or Wi-Fi routers and networks. Starting around 2005, when my sons were five and seven years old, I actually had them join me in my car upon several occasions. And as I drove slowly through the neighborhoods, one of my sons used his MacBook and the other used his Windows laptop. And while I was driving slowly, they were identifying what showed up as Wi-Fi networks along with being able to tell which ones had security controls set on them. Now, back then, the vast majority were wide open. There was no security at all on most of them. Over the years, though, as I've continued to do this research, I found that those Wi-Fi networks have improved some with regard to putting minimal security on the network, such as requiring um, passwords and using encryption. And how do I know this? Well, I use freeware tools such as Wiggly to identify and document very neatly and nicely onto a Google Earth map each Wi-Fi network along with the associated Wi-Fi network name, the MAC address, whether or not encryption is used and the exact type of encryption, I can tell that easily too, such as WEP, WPA or WPA2. Also, I can tell whether or not passwords are being used, the type of router, and a whole lot of other really interesting information that hackers also find very interesting because they can use that information to get into networks. Now, I've never stepped over that line of going in through into those networks and into those devices through those identified openings to see the data and the photos and videos, tax records, health data, and so on. So much more than that that are on all of those Wi-Fi networks and attached devices, but certainly the hackers are doing that. They're, they're seeing openings and they're taking them. They're going in to see what's there and see what they can put into those open networks. So why are Russian nation state hackers looking to get into the home Wi-Fi networks of folks throughout the world? And also, why are they wanting to get into any other type of business and organization Wi-Fi network that's possible? And what types of code and data do they want to load onto their networks? And why do they want to do that? Well, these types of topics are what we're going to discuss with our guest today, who is a Wi-Fi security expert. Tom Esten is the manager of penetration testing at Vericode. Tom's work over his 14 years in cybersecurity has focused on network, red team, and application penetration testing, as well as security and privacy research. Tom's led 
multiple projects in the cybersecurity community, and he's also improved in uh, the industry standard testing methodologies. He's also an experienced team manager and leader. Tom is also the co-host of the weekly Shared Security Podcast. Tom's a frequent speaker at security user groups and international cybersecurity conferences, including Black Hat, DEF CON, DerbyCon, SANS, InfoSec World, OWASP, AppSec, that one's always a hard one for me to say, and ShmooCon. Tom, thank you very much for being my guest today. Welcome to my show. Thanks for having me, Rebecca. Yeah, well, I'm so interested in always finding out from my guest how they actually got to the point where they are today. So how long have you been doing this type of information security work and what led you into this profession? So, uh, you know, like you said in my bio, I've been doing this for about 14 years. Uh, it, it seems almost like a lifetime <laughs> to me because I've always been involved in uh, something security related my whole life. I was actually in the uh, United States Marine Corps um, back in the day before I got into all this security. So uh, just the topic of security alone has always been kind of a part of my life. Um but specifically with cybersecurity, I was uh, doing IT uh, network server management, and uh, the company I worked for was just starting a IT security department due to the uh, Sarbanes-Oxley compliance that all companies uh, were mandated um, you know, to, uh, if you were a publicly traded company, you had to have a security department. And so I happened to be the guy that was patching all the servers and the uh, manager at the time, you know, said, hey, you're, you're doing all the patching. So it sounds like, you know, something about security. So why don't you join my team and then we can, you know, build this security department from the ground up. And uh, little did I know, I, you know, I had no idea what I was really getting into at that time. But it uh, it opened up a whole new world for me. Um, and that's kind of how I got interested in, you know, the world of uh, ethical hacking and, and penetration testing as well. Yeah, well, isn't that the case for so many that I found is they kind of get into security and their specialties kind of by accident, just as yeah, as a result of being in maybe the right place or the wrong place at, at any point in time, depending upon how you, you look at it. So um, with regard to, you know, doing scans and Wi-Fi testing mm -hmm. itself, you know, I remember back in the 1990s, I was doing security for Principal Financial Group where I built their program. And at that time, we were doing um, war dialing. Uh, yep. That, that you know, tells you how far back. But then from there, it went into Wi-Fi mm -hmm. scanning and testing. So what, you know, you told us how you kind of got into it. Um, what specific about Wi-Fi testing um, drew you to that particular uh cybersecurity topic. Yeah, so with, with Wi-Fi and just network testing, that was really, I'd say, how I, I got my start. Um, you know, this was at a time when I think network testing uh, and those types of things were just starting to get more popular with with companies and organizations um, really starting to take that type of, um, you know, those types of threats a little more seriously. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I started, you know, developing my own skills around those areas, but also, you know, I was allowed to kind of hire out the very first 
uh, network penetration tests that the company I worked for wanted oh. to do. So I got a little bit of experience from someone at the time that, you know, was very experienced in this. I got to shadow that person, um, you know, watch and observe and also mm -hmm. pick up some of the tools that they were using. And, and one of the great things about uh, the field that I'm in is, you know, we try to replicate and do the exact same things that the bad guys and the bad hackers are doing. Mm -hmm. So we're really using the same tools and the same techniques that uh, that bad guys are using to break into networks. So I was getting that experience and that knowledge and that really just, um, you know, put me on that path to uh, start doing more of this on my own. Well, and that when you're talking about the, the time frame, too, is it sounds like probably back around 2002, 2003 yeah. then. So mm -hmm. that was back before we had uh, the the types of encryption that we have now in Wi-Fi. So you were probably using WEP at that point in time? Yep, yep, we were. In, in fact, I remember the company's network that, uh, the wireless network that we had at the time was had no encryption. Yeah. And I think, I think <laughs> the recommendation was to use WEP, and we found that, it was kind of funny from a, a penetration testing perspective because WEP was so easy to break. Yeah. And, I mean, literally. You know that now, like, yeah. right? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like hitting a button. There's programs out there where you could just hit a button, literally, and it'll break the encryption off of WEP uh, fairly easy. So uh, <laughs> that was but, uh, interesting. But that's what we had at the time, right? That's so, it. So right. pretty much things have improved, mm -hmm. thankfully. Have, but, yeah. you know, let's with with that as your background, then let's take a deeper dive into this Russian Wi-Fi hacking. I mean, that must have really caught your attention when uh, the news came out. And certainly maybe you were, you know, actually working in those types of spaces before the news came out. But a lot of my listeners, and just as an FYI, I have listeners Probably around half are in the U.S., but the other half are around the world, and some are from business and are practitioners in security and privacy, but I have a lot of just in the general public. So when the general public hears about Russians trying to get into um, unsecured Wi-Fi routers, maybe explain a little bit. Why would Russians want to get into just, you know, my my Wi-Fi router here at home or my grandma and granddad's, you know, I mean, why, what, what are those Russians or even other nation states that are doing this hacking? What are they looking for? Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. I was, I was kind of surprised actually seeing this announcement, uh, mainly because it was the first time I think I've seen this joint security alert from Homeland Security, the mm -hmm. FBI and and the United Kingdom all coming yeah. out at the same time saying this about Russian hacking. Uh, and they've been saying this has been going on since 2015, mm -hmm. um, targeting not just, you know, consumer Wi-Fi home networks, but also corporate level, you know, private companies, um, infrastructure from power companies and, and other critical things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a little surprising. Um, I think there may be a little bit of political motivation given kind of the political political climate <laughs> that we're in mm -hmm. right now. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's always been a lot of talk with Russia, you know, with, with the U.S. election and all of these other events going on in the world. Um, so, you know, I was also kind of surprised at the amount of detail that this alert put out, uh, specifically around the techniques that are being used by the Russians. Mm -hmm. um, 
as well as the types of systems that they're going after. Um, but I, you know, to answer your question about what type of information are you looking for, and I think it's it's more about intelligence. Um, mm-hmm. They're looking for specific vulnerabilities that may be able to be used for, say, a future attack or something else that they may want to be uh, using that for. So I don't think they're particularly after, you know, your your personal photos and, you know, the, you know, all your, you know, you know things that websites and things that you go to. Uh, I think it's something much bigger that they're mm-hmm. collecting this into intelligence for maybe another purpose, or maybe they're trying to use it as a statement of, you know, hey, look at all this, this kind of power that we've been able to do by gathering this kind of data and this kind of access. Um, and it's making a statement to say like the United States and our allies that, you know, we're prepared to <laughs> maybe do a mm-hmm. broader cyber war with, with you. Yeah. So, you know, the, to show their capabilities, but also from what you've described, maybe uh, to put it another way, perhaps to weaponize the different um, the different types of networks that they can find because certainly through different types of bots and so on uh, maybe they could use all of these open and unsecured wi-fi networks to plant their bots that can be used for a distributed denial of service attack i mean is that something that you think they might want to do Absolutely. Um, yeah, that that's that's happened before. Is uh, routers have been compromised, you know, due to default credentials and other weaknesses, and they're easy to be hijacked. Where mm-hmm. they could be used as part of a botnet uh, connected to a larger network that can conduct a denial of service of, say, maybe a, a large U.S. government entity <laughs> mm-hmm. or you know something else. Um, and that is very common. That's happened before. Um, in fact, the Russians are known with um, all of the things going on in the Ukraine right now. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, there was some ransomware that, tie, that has ties back to the Russian government. It's called uh, NotPetya, mm-hmm. which um, that was a ransomware worm. And in that attack, that actually took down um, you know power grids in the Ukraine as well yeah. as all kinds of businesses. Um, and this was all done through what I would say is masqueraded as ransomware. I don't think it was all about making money. I think mm-hmm. it was about making a statement and then just shutting down entire infrastructures um, through this, you know, this ransomware that went out. Yeah, and you know, and if that's the same one I'm thinking of in the that uh, attacked the Ukraine and brought it down, I think around 2016 or so. Mm-hmm. What I thought was so fascinating with it was the fact that they uh, fooled the administrators that were monitoring, you know, the network, so that the the folks that should have been seeing whether the networks were up or not, it fooled them into thinking the networks were still up, even though they'd brought the grid down. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and they accomplished that probably by, you know, taking advantage of all those vulnerabilities and in, in the different systems that were attached. Um, so what are they looking for? I mean, let's let's let our listeners know some of the weaknesses that they're looking for. Are they looking for specific types of routers? Are they looking for, um, you know, running different types of tools to find these weaknesses, maybe Shodan. And I haven't talked about that on the show before. So if you want to talk about Shodan a little bit, I love that tool, by the way, but you've probably used it a lot. Mm -hmm. Yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah. Shodan is a tool that you can, uh, it'll go out and it will look for 
um, you know, things that are hanging out there on the internet, you know, devices, cameras, routers, other types of things that you connect to the internet and it, um, it pulls information back, which would allow a hacker or a nation state to log into them, especially ones that have, you know, default credentials, insecure configurations, those types of things. So that's an easy way for an attacker to just, you know, find out, find these devices in mass and then write a tool or write a script and then, you know, log into these devices, compromise them and then start taking data. Um, mm -hmm. But the, you know, what they're looking for is typically these default configurations. That's, mm -hmm. that's really the number one way that Russians, nation states and others are getting into routers is with these default configurations. Um, more from a corporate level, um, they're looking for things like old and outdated protocols, um, you know, devices that haven't been updated in a long time that have particular security vulnerabilities that are easy to exploit. So it comes down to, you know, insecure configurations, unpatched systems. Um, and these are very, very simple things. I kind of call mm -hmm. them the, the security basics, right? Um, mm -hmm. So these aren't complex hacks and things that you see on TV shows and, and things like that. These are very easy things to exploit. Well, and, you know, with all of those legacy types of systems that are out there, what I found over the years, too, when I'm working with clients is that a lot of times as they go through personnel changes or they implement new um, solutions, new types of technologies, they forget to offboard or remove those old ones. And so they're still there. I mean, I don't know about yeah. you, but I found uh, sometimes I still do what I call that war dialing, which, you know, sounds ancient, but you would be surprised at how many um, times I still get some openings to phone to old modems yeah. <laughs> that large organizations, they're still out there, still mm -hmm. out there. And, you know, and nobody's monitoring them. So how long could uh, the Russians or even the sure. cyber crook of some other kind be in your network and you don't even know that they're coming in through what, you know, might be viewed as like the the mouse hole into your home. Yeah. I mean, you just it's, don't know what's there. It's so surprising to me how often I run into technology that would be considered ancient, you know, old technology that's still being mm -hmm. used in production systems. Because, you know, the old saying, right, if it's not broke, why, why should I fix it or replace it? Uh, but a lot of times companies fail to see the security vulnerabilities that are just inherent in this old legacy, you know, type of uh, applications and, and hardware. Um, and they just get left aside and people forget about it, you know, just mm -hmm. like the, the employee that was, you know, terminated, you know, two years ago that they forgot to, you know, disable their account. Yeah. It, it's exactly what attackers will go after. Yeah, there's still such a reliance on one person to be the expert, you know, even in a really large um, yeah. organization, a lot of times when that one person is no longer there and of course nothing is um, documented, <laughs> then, you know, <laughs> you don't know about those things going on. So that documentation is so important. And I guess to follow up on that same type of practice, besides the old stuff, then you have all the really, really new stuff that gets implemented or brought into your tech technical environment that 
the centralized IT area doesn't even know about, especially like all those smart devices. <laughs> Internet so, of things. <laughs> yes, yes. So um, you're probably, what are you seeing with regard to how the nation state hackers are using those? Because with Shodan, they could find those out there as well, right? Yeah, they're going after that as well. You know, you, you've heard those stories about uh, internet connected cameras that have been compromised and used as you know as botnets and and other things. Absolutely, those those devices uh, are extremely vulnerable right now <laughs> to attack. Oh my god! And talking about uh, your you know your point about the fact that so many of them use just the default settings. Um, most people start using all those smart devices without making any changes at all, right? So Yeah, and the fact that a lot of these devices cannot be updated because the way that they were manufactured, you know, cheaply and able to be sold quickly, mm-hmm. um, we're have a huge problem with these devices hanging out the, on the Internet that they're, the defaults can't be changed or they can't be updated. Well, that's a great point because so many of our exploits and our breaches occur through unpatched networks and unpatched devices. So, of course, we're telling people, make sure you keep all of your systems patched. But like you said, if you have these devices and, you know, in the healthcare space, so many medical devices, you look at them, it's like, well, how are they going to send out the patches for those And probably the answer to that that you find is, well, they don't, right? (laughs) No, they don't because uh, in hospitals, it comes down to these are part of life support systems Mm -hmm. and um, they are so segmented, thankfully. um, But if a system like that goes down or is attacked, I mean, it can endanger somebody's life. Oh, definitely, definitely. Well, we're coming up on a break here right now. When we come back, I want to talk about, you know, some of the impacts that this can have. Like you said, with medical devices, it can have um, quite a big impact. But uh, right now, it's time for a quick break to hear from our valued sponsors that I appreciate so much. We're speaking today with Tom Esten about Wi-Fi hacking. I'm your host, Rebecca Harrell, the Privacy Professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as show topic suggestions using my email, RebeccaHarrell at RebeccaHarrell.com, and also through my websites, Simis360.com, PrivacyProfessor.org, and PrivacyProf on Twitter. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy, and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold and Associates offers information security products, privacy, and compliance tools, education, and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. She has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Have you heard about Symbus360.com? The Symbus system includes information security, privacy, and compliance management, policies, procedures, and forms, third-party and vendor management, training and awareness, 
breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Simbus also offers Alien Vault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also cyber liability insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Simbus system. Visit Simbus360.com. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on the Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold. Today, we're talking with Tom Esten about Wi-Fi security and hacking and nation-state um, activities regarding this. So, uh, Tom, you know, with regard to nation-state hackers, not just Russia, of course, but a lot of other countries as well, we've had so many instances of ransomware from cyber crooks that try to take away networks unless you pay them. Are the nation-state hackers also using ransomware and other types of malware for attacks? And then why would they be doing it if they don't want money from us? Absolutely. Um, yeah, like I mentioned previously, the uh, NotPetya uh, ransomware worm uh, used by the Russian government to target the Ukraine is a great example of that. And I think that um, you know, they, if you read news reports about that, um, they actually didn't make a lot of money. Um, it really was only, I think, a couple thousand dollars U.S., mm -hmm. um, which is nothing for a nation state, right? Um, mm -hmm. But I think they leverage the power that this ransomware has. Uh, specifically in these cases, this type of ran the ransomware would encrypt the entire hard drive of the computers that it was installed on. Um, so that right there would shut down you know, essentially all the network and the, the communications of these devices. I mean, it took down, you know, power companies and, and mm -hmm. other corporations. Um, so I think they're leveraging it for the power as well as the way that these this type of malware spreads within networks. Um, it's it just, it, it's easy to do and it was very cheap that I'm, I'm sure. Um, and so it provides them just a very good attack tool. Um, not really about the money. And could that also be as you know as i hear about them using this i think well maybe they're trying to to use that because some you know the general public would think oh well they're going to use that on us because we you know we're not big enough to pay them a ransom they right. they kind of overlook the fact that uh it's the getting um a network and taking that access away 
That's right. Yeah. It, it, exactly what it's about is it's how much disruption can they cause with mm-hmm. the tools and the malware that they're using. Um, like I mentioned, I think they're they're less interested in people's credentials and pictures of their dogs, right? I think mm-hmm. they're 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 definitely interested in causing a disruption, making a political point, um, and and that's kind of what their capabilities are all about. Well, and and two, it might be worth pointing out that. Um, they might be in networks a very long time uh, without anyone knowing uh, before they ever do anything that would disrupt the network, correct? That's um, correct. Yeah, that, that, that's what in the industry we call that persistent access, um, mm-hmm. where they will, you know, embed themselves into a network, um, you know, very silently, where they will evade detection, any type of network monitoring, and they will just passively, you know, look at network traffic, trying to pick up information that may benefit their government or, or their cause. Um, this is something that I know uh, China has been uh, accused of in the past, um, mm. maybe Maybe mm-hmm. more specifically around intellectual property theft, yes, um, because that is a uh, a huge problem right now with nation states attacking other nation states for their uh, the corporations that are in those countries. They have specific intelligence about products and services that they have um, that, if it was stolen, would benefit those companies or those countries economically, which mm-hmm. is a, a very large problem. Oh, yes. I mean, I'm located here in Des Moines, Iowa, and just right up the road is Iowa State University, which is has a lot of technology there, especially doing research with agriculture research and things like that with new tech for agriculture tools. And guess we have a very large population of students there from China. And in fact, you know, our governor, uh, Governor Branstad was sent over to China to be the ambassador. So that's definitely something that uh, we have also experienced over the, the past 20 or 30 years, what you talk about having intellectual property kind of, uh, you know, taken from there. But yet you want to you want to collaborate with other countries, but yet you, you know, you have that risk. So right. um, so you really need to make sure that you have security in place because uh, that's definitely something important. So have you had any of your own uh, specific clients who have been the victims of nation state hacking? And could you maybe give a high level description without getting into, you know, the names of them, but just to let, let our listeners know kind of how they figured out that they were being hacked by another nation and, and what they did about it. Sure. When uh, when I was at my previous company and I was uh, doing consulting and, and penetration testing for our for our clients, we had a, a a large manufacturing company here in Cleveland that was specifically targeted by uh, the Chinese for their intellectual property. They they happen to be a, a manufacturing company that had a very proprietary uh, product that they made. So essentially, they were like one out of two companies in the whole world that oh. make this product, right? 
right? Um, the other company just happened to be in China, but uh, <laughs> uh, they. Um, so we had a, a forensic team. Um, so this company had some network monitoring in place. They had discovered that their network was uh, breached. Uh, that this ad, this information about their product was accessed because they had some monitoring around this mm. database, and uh, it was it was exfiltrated out of their network. So they contacted us. We did a forensic investigation. Um, we through our investigation, we actually found that a an, ex- an executive was targeted through a phishing email, and mm. through the phishing email, uh, he clicked a link, and malware was installed on his computer. That gave the attacker access to to that uh, executive's laptop, and then he used that laptop as a pivot point to gain access to further into the network, and then eventually into this database that had the proprietary information, and then exfiltrate that information back out the executive's laptop. Um, and through our investigation, we traced that back to uh, a Chinese hacking group, essentially, um, that was that was doing this act. Activity. Well, so you, the key to it, the red flag then were the logs that they had monitoring. And so it showed that there was inappropriate access by this executive. Is that what was noticed or? The, yes, the executive had access. Um, let's just say he had some privileged access on the network that maybe he shouldn't have had, uh-huh. um, which allowed um, further access into the network. I, I mean, that was kind of one way of doing it. The attacker probably could have taken many different paths. But as we like to say in the industry, you know, we go after the low hanging fruit, right? Mm-hmm. So. Whatever the, the easiest way to, to get in, we're going to take that route. So um, that, unfortunately, was the easiest way in was his access. And I'm, I'm glad you point out about the executive because in almost every large organization, a mid-sized organization, a lot of times the executives, you know, they're the ones that often don't get the security tr- and privacy training because, you know, well, they're the executives. They're too busy to do that. Um, or, you know, well, we want to, the executive wants to uh, be able to use his or her personal computer uh, to do work. So an exception is often made for the mm-hmm. types of computers. And I think it's a really important point you make, the fact that the executives are the low-hanging fruit that you mentioned oftentimes, and uh, and it also points out that maybe they're given way too much access to different um, assets on the networks, <laughs> and, yeah. and it results in that. So it, it only takes one opening, right, in order to uh, have a hacker get in and just really have a heyday once they've gotten inside the network like that. That's right. And and I remember, you know, doing consulting, we would make sure, you know, when we're doing any type of security awareness training for, for an organization that executives had to attend. And if they couldn't, you know, we would we'd find ways of, you know, at least trying to educate them on here's the risks because you're most likely going to be a target because it's it's so easy now to, you know, go on LinkedIn and, you know, mm. find the executive of your choice, right? If you're an attacker or target someone, there's so much public information out there about a company, about who works there, what their position is. And 
all it takes is a, you know, a, a nicely crafted email, you know, through social engineering to get them to click a link or visit a website or give up some personal information that is the keys of the kingdom sometimes. Well, yeah, and not only that, even their uh, phones, their smartphones that they're using while they're traveling. I can tell you, while I've been traveling a lot here in February and March, um, the flights that I was on because of the days and times I was leaving had a lot of of members of Congress on them. And I was watching how they were using their uh, tablets and using their smartphones, and some of them have very big smartphones, and I was Mm -hmm. thinking – you know, I could have done a lot of damage just because of how they were using it and holding their uh, devices up so I could see messages on their devices. <laughs> I could see the net, you know, all those things. And I actually did for one of them. I said, you really need to get a, a screen filter so people can't be looking at everything that you're doing here. That's kind of a, a very significant vulnerability in our government right there. It is. And I think most people, you know, hate spending time in airports. Like I love going through airports because I see exactly that. I see people on their laptops, on their phones, and you could just sit there waiting for your flight and you can see people going through very sensitive information uh, on those devices. And again, that's another thing that You know, I think the other thing people don't realize is that uh, countries have spies here Mm -hmm. that are just, you know, targeting certain people, certain companies, certain organizations. And they're, you know, looking for situations like that where it's just glancing over and seeing what's on their laptop screen can give uh, an attacker a wealth of information. Just by looking at a laptop screen, I can determine your operating system, what programs are running. um, And just through those things, I can take a very good guess, you know, what might be vulnerable on that system where then I can create a phishing email targeted specifically to that individual and I'll have a better chance of gaining access to that system just from what I see on a laptop screen. And if they're in the airport and they're using the airport's free Wi-Fi, um, which many of them probably do, you could probably get right on that same free Wi-Fi network and uh, get right into their device if they don't have it secured. It'd be very easy to do that. And there are, I've seen a lot of insecure um, Wi-Fi networks uh, at airports um, mm-hmm. because, I mean, they make them insecure for a reason because they want everybody to connect to it. Um, but there are hackers that will sit there in an airport terminal and just, you know, be, con- you know, being that man in the middle, so to speak, uh, seeing everybody's network traffic. Oh, yeah. Well, and then along the same lines of the Wi-Fi vulnerabilities while traveling, Probably one of the most um, favorite uh, and popular places in the airport are the USB uh, port chargers, right? So now we have the skimmers, the tiny little skimmers that you can put in those chargers that nobody ever even thinks about when they're charging their, their laptop, their tablet, their smartphone. And that can be, um, you know, taking all sorts of data and getting all sorts of information from people's devices. So that's another Wi-Fi pathway for the the nation state hackers, isn't it? 
It is. Yeah. If, if you're again, if you're targeted by by a nation state or a hacker, they will find some way to get the information they're looking for. Um, you know, it's kind of like the old uh, spy movies and, and things like that that you, you you've seen. Right. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that that does happen. Um, and there are cases of executives and companies being t- specifically targeted and spied on and followed, uh, you know, their cars mm-hmm. followed and things like that. We've we've seen these stories. I know individuals that have had this happen to them when I was consulting. So it is a very real thing. It's just something that we don't hear a lot about in the media. But um, again, more recently, though, with like Russia, and and I think we're starting to see, you know, our our government's starting to show more of this and and show more of this intelligence to the public, because it is becoming a much more real threat. And uh, Mm -hmm. with the technology that's out there, it's just uh, in the vulnerabilities, it's just easier for these nation states to do. Well, I would think, too, um, knowing who the leaders are, who the decision makers are, bringing this to the home Wi-Fi networks. You know, if I wanted to get into maybe a Fortune 50 business, maybe I'd want to see if that Fortune 50 executive or the executives there in their homes had their Wi-Fi networks open. So, um, you know, if I wanted to park outside of their, uh, you know, of their home, maybe outside of their gates even, um, what would, what should people look for on even their home Wi-Fi networks that would be a flag that somebody might be trying to get into their networks or do something? Well, without having any kind of uh, specialty type monitoring uh, system, you know, on your Wi-Fi network, which is something that corporate uh, networks will have, right? Like intrusion detection mm-hmm. systems, things like that. And, um, and I don't think the general consumer needs to have uh, a device like that. But, um, you know, if you take the basic precautions of updating your device, using strong encryption, use a long, complex passphrase, um, those those safeguards are usually enough uh, to prevent you know your network from being breached. Um, because unfortunately, is when if an attacker gets onto your router, um, you're probably not going to know anything different. Um, you know because what they're ultimately looking to do is become that man in the middle, and they want to see all the network traffic that's going on on that network. And then they're going to intercept that. They're going to grab credentials, passwords, other things like that, uh, and then use that as they see fit. So you may not notice anything particular. Um, In cases that we've seen where routers have been compromised, um, we have seen uh, users being redirected to malware sites where malicious software is being downloaded. We've seen pop-ups, you know, kind of show up while they're browsing. A lot of these are, you know, uh, easily identifiable by, you know, poor English and foreign language. Uh, other indicators mm-hmm. like that might happen, but um, unfortunately, there's probably not a lot of indication if your router is fully compromised. So that makes it even more important to have a lot of security controls. Um, it does. I know I, there was an instance uh, that occurred a couple of years ago with at a, one of my larger clients, and it was in their home uh, Wi-Fi network, and they said, you know, this is weird. Some of my email messages um, are already read. You know how you can tell which uh-huh. messages you've read and you haven't read, and they would say, well, 
at first they thought, oh, well, maybe I read it and I didn't realize it. Or maybe, you know, I had the, the cursor, you know, on it, uh, the mouse on it, and um, I didn't know it. But then they, they kept finding then that the different messages would be marked as read that they hadn't read. Come to find out there was someone in their Wi-Fi network yeah. <laughs> that was getting into their email. And so that was mm-hmm. the, the indicator for them that sure. uh, emails are marked as read when they haven't read them. <laughs> yep. And I'd say that's an indicator that the attacker is on that system specifically. So mm-hmm. they probably have malware that's installed, um, which is giving them oftentimes we see kind of, they're called like remote administration applications, kind of like a WebEx or, you know, uh, a tool like that where they can actually see your desktop and mm-hmm. then say you're, you know, they can they, they can turn on your web camera or your camera on your laptop and see when you've walked away and then they'll take control of your mouse and then start reading your email and, and other things like that. And then they'll, they'll see that you've come back and then <laughs> they won't mm-hmm. touch the mouse and, and they'll go do something else. So um, because the malware that we see these days is extremely powerful, like I mentioned with the webcam, um, one of the things that we always tell people is to buy one of those webcam covers, right? Or yes. stick a piece of tape over it because mm-hmm. um, the malware is designed to usually there's a little green light that comes on, right? When your webcam shows up, well, they can mm-hmm. disable that little light and you'll have no idea that, that your camera is actually recording you. And same thing with your microphone. So right. um, you know, there's this little, you know, preventive measures that we always recommend of, you know, if your laptop was compromised, you know, there's some things that you can do like covering up your camera. <laughs> right, right. Well, what do you think that as a result of the all of the publicity over the past few weeks that came from the Russians, uh, the revelations, you know, from the UK and the US together, what do you anticipate is going to be uh, done, if anything, as a result of that? I mean, are, do, are you, um, you know, optimistic that there will be more types of steps taken to secure wireless networks as a result? Do you think it'll just be kind of a, a temporary awareness raising and then back to normal? Or what do you anticipate? Well, I hope from the 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 user and consumer awareness that it, it it you know spreads you know education and awareness programs a little bit further. Um, it's there's been a lot about it in the media, and if you read any of these articles, they give you you know basic you know Wi-Fi security tips, which is really good. Um, what I find interesting too, I think from the political standpoint, is uh, and a lot of people don't realize this, but you know every country is kind of hacking everybody else. Um, I mean, the U.S. does it, uh, Canada, everybody mm-hmm. else. We've we're all hacking each other. So you know what type of response that the U.S. and the U.K. and, and our allies do, you know, we're probably going to throw right back at Russia. So mm-hmm. you know this tit for tat thing is probably going to continue for for quite a while. That's what we call it. It's like the cyber war, right? It's not traditional warfare, but it's all cyber war. And this stuff is happening every day kind of behind the scenes. So, um, you know, I think I think you're right. I think it is, you know, good to see more awareness being spread about these things because it really just comes down to the the very basics of computer security, of, you know, doing those basic things can prevent a lot of these attacks from happening. And then with regard to your earlier point about the new types of smart devices not being able to be updated because of yep. just 
the purpose of them, uh, what would you recommend to organizations that are implementing all those smart devices within their environment? Um, you know, a lot of times they just happen to, to introduce them without even really preparing from a security standpoint. They do. It's a, it's a huge problem right now because, um, you know, these devices were manufactured to be cheap. Um, and you can go on Amazon right now and pick a million different, uh, you know, internet connected cameras that are only mm -hmm. about, you know, 10 to $20. Um, and unfortunately we, you know, people buy these things, they connect them to their corporate network and then not realize, you know, that they're insecure. So there's a big push now in the, in the industry to hold more manufacturers of these devices accountable um, for having poor security practices. And uh, some advice I give to people before they think about buying any of these internet connected devices is just do some, do your own research, you know, do a quick Google search for the device that you're about to, about to purchase. I've often found that there's, you know, security vulnerabilities that are being discussed on different forums. Amazon reviews is also great. Um, people qu quite frequently actually discuss kind of, hey, this had a default password and I can't change it. Um, oh, you know, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's all out there. So it's there. not really a de the default is like the permanent one then, <laughs> basically. Right. Yeah. And we've seen those. Um, so you kind of have to do a little bit of research and, and, and see the track records that some of these companies have. But it's really, really hard because a lot of these devices are made in China by companies no one has ever heard of. Not to mention that, you know, there's also been reports of back doors and other things being put into these devices. Uh, that's even that's scary as well, because you could be yes. buying a legitimate device and it's been modified to have a backdoor access for the Chinese government or Russian government. Right. Oh, yeah. So that's important to do some checking. And I would think, too, for organizations listening to us to build even if it makes your device cost maybe a few cents or a few dollars more, what a, a great competitive differentiator you would have against, yeah. you know, your competitors. If you could talk about the fact that you have security controls built in and so on. So um, in just in maybe 30 seconds or less, what would you tell our listeners as the one basic recommendation that you would have for them with regard to uh, preventing someone from hacking into or getting into their personal Wi-Fi networks? Uh, the biggest thing is just be aware and educate yourself on on threats and, and things that we've talked about on the show. Um, you know, education, I think, is the single best thing that you can do. Um, educate yourself, educate others so that you're aware of, of the threats um, that are all around us. Great, great. Well, thank you so much, Tom, for being on the show today and providing so many great insights about Wi-Fi hacking and nation-state hacking, security, and privacy. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, today we've been speaking with Tom Esten, Manager of Penetration Testing at Vericode. You can get in touch with Tom using his email, tom at skylogic.net. And Tom's also on Twitter using 
Agent Zero X Zero. That sounds very mysterious. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the privacy professor. Please tune in to the show each week. If you cannot make our scheduled live time, you will be able to listen to the recordings. You can find recordings of all my past shows on iTunes, Mobile Play, Stitcher.com, TuneIn.com, and Player FM, to name a few. In addition, of course, to the Voice America America.com business channel website. Also, please contact me for information, security, privacy, and compliance work, keynotes, uh, if you need an expert witness, and for more information about my Symbus360.com security and privacy cloud services. You can also visit my YouTube channel, The Privacy Professor, to see my appearances on CW Iowa Live morning shows and the topics that we talk there. And also, I want to hear about your show topic ideas, so send me an email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com. I urge you to notice and stay aware of information security and privacy issues as you go about your daily activities, go to your job and do your daily work, or encounter anything else involving your personal information and how it's secured and potentially used in ways that could impact your privacy. Don't be afraid to tell businesses that you want them to secure your information and ask them, how are they doing that? Until our next show, ask those you do your business with. Again, uh, say, are you doing all you can to secure the information that I'm entrusting to you? Be privacy aware in the week ahead, and we'll see you next time. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe.